Welcome to Becoming. We are grateful to have you in our audience this morning. Our guest on today's show is Joel Graber, and he is the founder of Modern Outbound. They are a turnkey outbound team that generates pipeline with the right mix of technology and systems and the human experience. So Joel, welcome to the show. Yes. We're glad to have you. Very excited to be here. Excited to chat with you guys. Wonderful. Awesome. Yeah, it's like lead generation is like everywhere we look, there's like more and more lead generation, like people reaching out to me in DMs and LinkedIn. It's like really like the uh, crazy scene in terms of the strategies involved. So I'm super excited for the conversation as well. Yeah, me too. It's uh, what you would call a red ocean. Um, yeah. And there is there are a lot of good players out there, not so good players. So we'll, we'll dive into all that. Great. Super excited. Um, now, I mean, we don't even need to explain why what you're offering is so critical because any organization, any salesperson, this is the thing they, they dislike the most, right? And, and how do you get it targeted and what is yeah. the right content? And is your list clean, so to say, or, or are they old emails? And that's why you're not getting a response. So there's, there's, there's so many reasons why you're needed and there's so many people that don't do it well. And we wanted to have you on the show because it's one of the things we like to do is kind of vet out different companies so that our listeners can don't have to do that work. So you are here because of that. So why don't we start with, tell us a little bit about why you started the company. So I started the company, I've always been in sales and I, I did it because I knew that the top of the funnel outbound lead generation was where there was the most innovation happening. I think all of the consulting that happens around sales, how to close a deal, how to build a relationship. I feel like that stuff doesn't really change, like be a good listener, ask good questions, nurture the relationship, solve a problem. But the way in which you actually get in front of those opportunities is changing so rapidly. So I came from a world, I, I came from the Wall Street finance world, JP Morgan as a BlackRock for a while, um, institutional sales. We, were, we had shackles on what we could do and not do on cold email, LinkedIn, I don't know, it wasn't really a thing. It was more of like a recruiting platform back then. Um, but we couldn't really be creative. People had heard of like JP Morgan, BlackRock, these are big brands. So I didn't really work that muscle as hard, but towards the end, bigger opportunity, our markets got bigger and we needed to get in front of these people. And um, I left because I felt like, well, there were a lot of reasons why I left, but I wanted to be more creative on the growth side of things. And I felt like there was only so much I could do there. Uh, so I joined a startup where I was a director of partnerships, um, a company called Facet Wealth, and that was kind of like a lab for me. That was where I was really testing all these different outbound strategies. Nobody had heard of Facet Wealth. Now they're a billion-dollar company. But at the time, very early stage, how do we get the word out? They had done outbound before I got there. That was an absolute disaster. I mean, these emails were horrific, untargeted. Their domains were blasted and spam. Um, so we had to kind of work uphill a little bit. And then I realized, you know, I was getting more meetings for myself. I was closing a lot of deals and I was getting more meetings for myself than a lot of the sales development reps were getting for me. So I was like, you know what, probably a lot of startups that need help with this. Um, it's a little more complicated than it was 10 years ago. So like, I should do something about it. That was how Modern Outbound was born uh, about three years ago. It's great. It's a great story. And I, I love when, um, the story begins with people actually doing the job and realizing what's missing. You know, we talk yeah. about this all the time that, you know, you don't have to always be in the position, but 
you have to be in the position to really understand the system of it, the faults of it, and where it needs to be tweaked to be more effective and efficient. And if you yeah. haven't done it, you can, you can read all you want about it, but you, you have to do it. So it, 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 it also builds trust. I know it does for us that, that you've actually done it. You've seen it. You've seen what works. You've seen what doesn't. Um, so um, how, how should a business start approaching their lead generation, in your opinion? I'm going to say something controversial to your point. Oh, we like that. Uh, the SDR role, the BDR, business development rep, whatever you want to call it, is no longer an entry-level position. And I think for many, many years, it's an entry-level job. Like 25, 30 years ago, if you wanted to get leads, you'd hire a 22-year-old kid. Here's a phone book. Or here's like a list that we bought from something. Like make some calls, make it happen. There wasn't any infrastructure. We didn't have to worry about landing in spam or if data was clean or not clean. We didn't have any automations. And I think it was, it was easier. People were less saturated back then. So there's kind of like two parts to it. These days, the biggest mistake I'm seeing companies make, and it's not just startups, it's, it's well-established post-series B, C, or even companies that are well, not even in the startup stage. Um, they bring on entry-level SDRs that don't know what they're doing. They don't know how to set up domains the right way. They're certainly not using the right tool stack that's going to help them scale lead generation. And even more so, they don't know how to write copy, which I would say copywriting is the core skill I think that any SDR should have. And how can you expect a kid in their 20s to figure out how to write copy without any experience? Because like you said, Lisa, you kind of learn by doing, but if they haven't done it, they're a year out of college. What you know, They've written essays, which is actually the opposite of what you should do. The stuff you write in the classroom, like your English teacher should hate your copy. Uh, and if they like it, then you're doing something wrong. This is what these college kids know how to do. And you see it. I mean, you see the inboxes. Um, it's a disaster. So interesting. So why don't we just parlay off of that? What, what should the content look like? So and why should your English teacher hate it? Yeah. Uh, so good questions. I, I would say high level, it should always be conversational. I used to get dinged in English class. I remember high school, college, like stop writing like you speak. There was like a certain like structure. You had to speak in this kind of formal tone. The grammar had to be perfect. You couldn't like bring like hyphenate or bring words together. Putting commas and flashes in weird places was very frowned upon. Um, so that ended up being one of the strengths of, of like modern outbound copy was that we write like we speak, we're conversational because when you're reaching out to somebody cold, the number one thing you wanna do is build trust. And if you have this like formal five paragraph deal, if it's generic, it's generic, like they're, they're not gonna think it's for them so they're not gonna engage. But if it's not conversational and it's not quick, where they're actually reading it, scanning it, you get about eight seconds of their time you haven't built trust and you haven't made your case fast enough. So be conversational, 25 to 50 words in an email, lead with a new problem in every step of the sequence. Make it, maybe make it five to seven steps. We can talk about the other mistake that sales managers make is do some crazy 18 step sequence, big mistake. But to answer your question on like English, English teacher stuff, um, it should be, the, the grammar can be a little bit off. Think about how you text your friends your reply rate to your friends is probably 100%. And a lot of that stuff isn't uh, 
grammatically correct. It's probably really quick to the point. Um, so those are the principles we use when, when we write copy. And how do you look at the trade-off of, um, because I agree with you, I would look at something like that too, but where's the trade-off of, ooh, that wasn't professional. Where yeah. you, you want it to be professional and not so stoic and, and, and uptight. Do you, is there a line you can talk about? There is a line, and I think, a, and it's a really good point because a lot of it depends on who you're reaching out to. Are you reaching out to a, a CIO or a chief information security officer or an IT director or even a CTO? Because maybe that copy is going to be a little different to the head of marketing or the VP of sales, where they see even more outreach and they're probably a little bit more outgoing, extroverted, open to that kind of language. Um, but I would say I don't care who you're reaching out to. I don't care who the role is. It needs to be, it can be conversational and professional. They don't, those two aren't mutually exclusive. Um, you don't like, always be respectful. Um, make it about them. But uh, if they're a CISO versus like an HR leader, like, yeah, maybe you turn it up or turn it down depending on who you're talking to. But I find we send, we send over a million emails a month across our client base. So the data we see is so obvious that the more conversational, the more pithy, concise, uh, you're just going to get more engagement because ultimately cold outreach is about getting engagement. It's not selling a product. That's right. It's about getting the person to right. respond to something, you know, call to action is really call to engagement. Yeah. I think the the big point for like me looking at that and hearing that is just thinking about LinkedIn on my own approach of the people that are flooding my LinkedIn inbox every single day. There's so many messages and just like, which ones are catching my attention and which ones do I actually like? And I think the big key there is which ones don't seem like the person is deliberately trying to sell me something. Cause like some of them are so like, all right, this person's going to sell me something. Some of them, as you were saying earlier, just flat out, just the weirdest messages I've ever received of like, yeah. I, very unprofessional, but like doesn't even make grammatical sense. So I'm just mm. like, it's like, I do, I do insert whatever they do. I do podcast management or I do email. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. okay, like that's <laughs> nice, man. Cool. Okay. Good homework. Yeah, yeah. It sounds great. Right. Um, it's so cringy out there. Yeah. It's um, nothing surprises me from emails to LinkedIn to DMS. Mm. It's like, it, it's crazy in terms of copywriting. Like I'm a huge copywriting nerd. Like I, I like to read, uh, Gary, Gary Halbert, somebody that I read a lot about and I learned a lot of great stuff from. Are there any people that come to mind when it comes to copywriting that you've learned from or you really appreciate their work? Ooh, that's a great question. Um, there are, so on LinkedIn, there are a lot of people that I follow who do a lot of like ghostwriting on LinkedIn. Um, and I think the principles that they share are accurate, like are evergreen. Guys like Josh Braun, who's someone yep. that you, you guys might know. He shares a lot of things. Jason Bay is another great uh, influencer on LinkedIn who works with a lot of reps, has seen a lot of sequences, like best practices. Um, guys like Matt Barker, who's becoming like a top voice on LinkedIn with ghostwriting. Like he, he focuses a lot on like posting content, but I, I follow him because a lot of his stuff is just great for cold email too. It, it kind of translates. Um, yeah, you want to follow good copywriters on LinkedIn because they share good nuggets. So you talked about like there kind of touched upon it, but the whole conversation between inbound marketing and outbound marketing, maybe you're biased when it comes to that with the name of the company, but I'm always curious right. to, see, to see what is the, your uh, thought process when it comes to inbound versus outbound marketing. 
I think it's an ecosystem. I don't. I think the mistake a company would make is to pick a lane and just stay in one lane. Lead generation, what we do, outbound. So outbound and lead generation, I'm using interchangeably, um, is the fastest way to not only get leads and start conversations, but it's the fastest way to get feedback. So for a lot yeah. of companies we work with that are earlier stage startups, they raised a seed round, they're still figuring out their identity, although they know who they serve. It's when you build outbound sequences, and we are pretty active, we'll build 20, 25, 30 audiences, all different personas, all different messaging. After a couple months, you can figure out like what's resonating with who. Okay, like problem A isn't working with persona A as well as we thought, but problem B in that follow-up is getting a way higher reply rate. Why don't we lead with that next time? Mm-hmm. So you're saying um, following copywriters and things like that, it's good to follow people, but answering your earlier question, it's, it's even better to just try things. Yeah. So yeah, I think uh, me and Lisa were talking about this earlier today and the other day, but Gary uh, V, of course, everybody probably knows who Gary V is, but he always says, yeah. uh, I didn't really notice he was saying this. Like it didn't really like, click for me uh, that until like a recent video, but he always says, don't listen to what I'm saying, watch what I'm doing. And mm. I think that like hits right upon the nail. It's like, you can sure you can watch Gary V videos all day long, or you could just go to Gary V socials, his company, the brands he works with and see what they're doing for marketing content and get a lot of an approach. So it was really cool that you hit that uh, same so kind of true. topic there. Where a lot of us are just passengers and we're like absorbing content, listening to things, reading posts, but very few actually go out and experiment and test seven different variations to the same audience to figure out what's working because you'll learn way more from that. Um, but to, to answer your question about lead generation versus inbound, outbound versus inbound, I think it works really well in this ecosystem where you're doing cold outreach because cold outreach is a brand awareness play. This right. is the other thing that gets missed is like, yes, you're trying to get leads, you're trying to get meetings, of course, but what about all the people that mentally respond to your email? They don't physically type anything, but they're like, oh, that's kind of cool. I'm not in the buying window, but maybe in six months I will be. Um, there's an inbound component to that. They'll go to your website, right? Maybe they'll make a mental note. If you nurture them the right way, you'll get them back online. But there's brand awareness and outbound lead generation. But even better if you're doing inbound strategies, like if you're posting on LinkedIn every week, every day, you're sharing blog posts that you're then using in your outbound it just builds more credibility. So the outbound and inbound works well. People that open your outbound emails, so we have a, a process where um, when I was running ads on LinkedIn, I would pull a list of people that opened my outbound emails like 10 plus times and didn't respond. And then we would retarget them on LinkedIn ads and the conversion was fantastic because these were people that they didn't move me to spam. They thought it was interesting enough to open it a bunch of times. They may have shared it internally but I leveraged my outbound data for ads, which then retargeted them, brought them right back to my site to book a demo. So every sales leader, revenue leader, or founder should be thinking of it as like a kind of like a flywheel. Like they all kind of play into each other. Right. It's a whole, it's a whole process. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And, 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 and never and just you, stay in one lane. And it's hitting those people multiple times without being in their face, you know? Um, mm-hmm. by it, it's, it, you know, you have the, the outbound and then there's a little bit more of a soft launch when, yeah. when you see how receptive they were to what you just sent out, because that is so true, Joel, that not everybody is ready to take on whatever product or service that you're selling. Right. The part, point about being consistent and having good content is that 
you did trigger something in their brain that says, oh, wow, you know what? I don't need this now, but I might need it. Or I like yeah. the way that feels. I, I like their approach. And if you're consistent, then when they are ready or they have the need, you're there. Exactly. Don't never, never neglect the brand. Yeah. And, and too many companies will neglect the brand because they have impatient investors and they just need to get more deals over the line. But if you right. neglect the brand, your outbound will suffer. Yep. Um, I think of it this way, like at any given time, let's say you have a big addressable market or small, 3% of your addressable market at any given time is ready to buy. They're in the buying window. You just need to get in front of them. Mm-hmm. Most outbound that happens today is only geared towards those people, yeah. right? It's very here and now, here's, here's my product, me. Here's all the things we did, the awards we won, the funding. And then maybe you'll get some of those people. It's not that effective, but that's what all the outbound is geared towards. But there's that outer layer of maybe 10% of your addressable market, even 15%, that they're not in the window, but they can be convinced. They can be, if you, if you ask an illuminating question or you poke the bear a little bit, you get them to rethink their process, you, you might get a conversation. So That's good right. outbound should be hitting both of those layers. Right. Not just hitting that 3%, not, not hitting that 97%, trying to make them the 3%. Right. Yeah. That, that's never going to happen. Right. If you hit the three percent, right. that's awesome. But the point should be, you know, nurturing that ninety-seven percent for when they're eventually in the mm-hmm. sweet spot of conversion. Yeah, yeah. That's that's what outbound should be, and unfortunately, uh, it's a little glossed over and overlooked. And and we can talk about infrastructure, like how to actually get in inboxes and like the copywriting. But it's all one machine. Like it should all be working together. Yeah, but let's talk about that because that's important. Um, Talk about the infrastructure. Yeah. Again, another reason why uh, SDR is not an entry-level position. You cannot expect an entry-level person to build the outbound infrastructure and say, okay, uh, we can send emails from our main domain, which you should never do. I don't care if you're sending 50 cold emails today. Never send it from your main domain. If your sales leader or your founder says, go ahead and do it, don't do it. It's a big mistake. Your day-to-day emails can get trashed. Even if five grumpy people move your email to spam on a given day, reputation takes a hit. So, so important on the infrastructure side, whenever we onboard clients, we set up multiple domains. If they don't already own them, we'll, set up, we'll let it warm up for a while. We'll build subdomains under those. And this is above my head too, by the way. I have a CTO who is an email deliverability god, and he handles this complicated part of onboarding. He works with everybody to configure SPF, DKIM, DMARC authentications, make sure it's hooked up the right way um, to your outreach software, you know, make sure you're not blacklisted, make sure you warm up your domains, um, hook up tools like MailReach to increase traffic and get spam reports, use a tool like Glock Apps to figure out as you're doing outreach, like, how is my domain doing? A domain is like a person. It has a reputation. And if you're bothering people with bad messages, the reputation takes a hit and people don't trust you. And servers are looking out for that. The servers have gotten much better at it. So building those subdomains, configuring it, authenticating it the right way is, is everything. If you don't do that right, you can have the best copy, the best target, like a really tight list. They're never going to see it. How long, to talk a little bit about warming up the domain. Do you mean just, um, you know, testing it out, seeing how it's responding, seeing, make sure that you're not um, being put into spam. And then if it's, if it's not working, 
can you change within that domain or is that when you go to your next domain and, and try something new? So you, you're hitting on a couple of points there. I would say when you're warming up, we do pretty high volume for our clients. So we probably send 800 to 1,000 emails a day per client across multiple campaigns and steps. It's usually around that, 800 to 1,000, 700 to 900, something like that. Um, from day one, you obviously can't send 700 emails. You, you, it'll, it'll take two hours before you get completely blacklisted. Um, and that domain will be trashed. So we have a manual warm-up process. So day one, 15 emails. Day 230, day 345, 70. Increase the delay. Have a, a long delay between emails that are going out. Don't send 10 emails in a minute. That's a mistake. Um, spread it out over the course of the day. Like have a long sending window. I would say we always have 12-hour sending windows, sometimes like 10 or 11. But if, if you have a longer sending window, like 7 a.m. to 7 p.m., you can do fewer emails per hour, which is better for deliverability. But ramp it up. And and check your domain religiously every single day for if your campaign is just getting running, how's it going? Like how, a tool like MailReach will tell you how many out of the emails they're sending are being pulled out of spam. Um, Glock apps will tell you after a few weeks, are you, are you ready to go to the next level? Can you start sending 200 a day? Can you start sending 600? Um, sales teams get pretty impatient with this. And then by the second week, they're sending 600 emails a day. They're not getting replies, which right. is hurting their domain even more at that level of volume um but if that to your point lisa like if if the domain isn't doing well at least three months in you should back you should have a backup domain and do domain rotation so let it rest put it to the sideline for a little bit bring up the backup domain that's been warming up this whole time so that you can get back in the game faster i'm curious in terms of the companies either you usually work with? Cause like what, what I'm hearing here is like, this definitely seems like a process that is complicated. I'm sure there's some automation tools that we can maybe get into later that can help different businesses. Is there like an ideal type of company or business? Like what specific product they're selling that should implement certain types of email marketing campaigns with that type of volume? Yeah, I would say any company that is built to scale. Um, you know, if you're like a one person consulting shop, this probably wouldn't be right for you. A, you don't, you can only ha handle that many clients at one time, so you wouldn't be able to handle our lead flow um, if you're a one-person consultant. But you know, if you're a tech company, a SaaS or software startup, and like you're trying to move, so you're trying to sell software, um, this is table stakes. You have to do something like this. Um, gotcha. There are companies, just to show you the other side of the coin, there are companies that say, nah, automated outreach really isn't for us. Um, we want to bring on an SDR and they're going to hyper-personalize every email. They're going to do 50 of those a day. Um, I have opinions on that. I don't think that scales. I don't think that's why the great companies became great. But there is that other side of the coin. You could also blend the two. You could say, okay, I'm going to personalize my top 50 accounts, the ones that like I would chop my left arm off to work with. Fine, personalize it, but make it tie into your value prop. The rest should be hyper-relevance. Yeah. Um, so only do personalization if you've done the work on segmentation. But to your question, everybody should do this. Anybody that's trying to sell anything, unless you have capacity issues. That yeah, makes sense. I think uh, in terms of the, the personalization thing, I was looking at a, a LinkedIn post from you earlier, just going down your feed. And I, yeah. I, I wrote it down as, as one of the questions because I heard... Uh, 
not that you, it was, you said it in a very articulate, great way, but I was like, there's some emotion behind this. He has a firm yeah. opinion when it comes to like personalized emails. Can you, do you want to touch like a little bit more on terms of what, what we mean by personalized emails versus the other alternatives that I was wondering yeah. the same thing. Mm. Yeah. You did it feel like a rant a little bit. I apologize. <laughs> Sometimes, you know, once, good. once a week I'll go on a little rant, but, um, I, there's different types of personalization. So, and there are types of personalization that, that is great. Like, but it should be able to be scaled, right? So for instance, like good personalization at scale, if you want to use that term, you know, technographic details, like you know that everybody on this list uses Salesforce. Or for, for, let's say your product integrates with Salesforce. It's a native integration, it's a great story. Pull a list of Salesforce users. To me, that's hyper relevance at scale. Some might call that personalization. So that's a great way to build outbound. But if you're, what I see sales reps do, and they do it to me too, I see it in my inbox. The first line is totally unrelated to how they can help me. It's just kind of like patting my ego. Like, like I've seen a few, like, hey, noticed you volunteered at this organization. Like, so cool. Like, great work. By the way, we do X, Y, Z. Like, come <laughs> on. Like, I know you spent a couple seconds on that, which like, I guess I appreciate and maybe I'll even respond because of like law of reciprocity. Like I feel like I have to, like you put in time. It doesn't make me want to buy your product anymore. So those like random one-liners that sales managers just love, maybe because it makes them feel like you're more in control of the situation. Like, okay, if we personalize all of these emails, like we'll get a higher reply rate and we can do this. We can put in the time every day to do it. It doesn't help. It doesn't. Work smart, work smart over work hard. Um, I think it makes it a lot. Yeah. I think it makes them feel better about what they're doing. Oh, we're supposed to personalize. So let's personalize an email like that. And I'm like, Oh my God, if they're saying this in an email, (laughs) I'm going to be on the phone with them forever. They're going to try and be connecting with me with things that don't matter. And Oh my God, I'll (laughs) get that 15 minutes back. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the curse of sales though. At the same time, it's like, we get this like any time, which is the the weirdest thing. Like younger, when I was younger and before got into sales and it, it, I didn't really understand this whole world of like the marketing sales and everything that's involved in this and the outreach that people can do. But now that you get to learn the back end and see the sales techniques, the email marketing techniques, it's like, you can't fool a salesperson. It's like, I can obviously tell you're coming to my inbox and like, Hey Costa, find one way to connect with me. And then like, I love your post on whatever great post, then something random. It's like, do you not think I know that? Like, like you're, you're specifically just doing that to then ask me another question, which is yeah. fine. It's like, how do you do it in a great way? That's what I'm going to ask at the end here. But like, um, it's yeah, like a difficult motive. process. Right. Yeah. Yeah. If there's a motive there, it doesn't, it doesn't feel quite as good. Um, it's like I had in another post that I, I think about a lot. Like, are you, are you the vitamin or the painkiller? You know, like the vitamin solutions need to personalize. Uh, the painkillers don't. It's like, I have something you need, like I'm going to cut to the chase and build trust that way. I love yeah. It's that. funny that you mentioned that. I'm looking at a book right now by uh, Alex Ramosi, hundred million dollar offers. And he uh, yep. talks about like the difference between, uh, I think he was talking about some sort of anxiety medication. I forget what the exact one versus like somebody using like a meditation app or meditation coach. And it was like the pain of like doing it. It's like, take the pill and you feel better versus like open the app each day, go through a session every day, each week, then third month, fourth month, five months, you, you'll probably feel better or take the pill. It's done and yeah. you feel better. And it's tough. It's tough. And in that, in that uh, context, 
I'm I'm big on meditation and like putting in the time to to do that, but it just doesn't translate as well into like an outbound strategy. Like right, it, it's got to be like there here is no silver bullet, but being direct in a sales approach. Um, yeah, I would rather hear that. I would rather hear. Do you have five minutes? I have. I, I took a look at your business and I think I have some things that could work. If I don't, not a big deal. But and then bullet, bullet, bullet. What you can do. Yeah. I'm not a fan of bullets, just not to, but no, no, not I a fan of bullets. Much. Never do bullets in an email, FYI. What would People you will do? gloss over at that. How, how would you, how, what would be a, an effective way to make an impact on someone without um, doing the fake bonding? Find a reason why they would care about your solution. Uh, and a lot of times I find it's role specific. So if you, if, if you really know the role, like what does this, if it's a product for a CFO, like if let's say it's a lending platform that's being sold to finance leaders, right? Which happens to be one of our clients. Like what, like what do they go home complaining about? What are their motivations? They, they want to get, if they're a CFO, they don't really care about promotions, but they want bigger headcount. They want to grow their team. Um, they want the company to look good on the balance sheet. Like, how do we help them do that? Maybe they want to fund growth. Like, focus on those motivations, and it should only be focused on that. Mm-hmm. And if you can lead with, there's, they might be motivated by five things, but, but don't make them work hard. Like, just lead with one thing. Like, hey, I know, based, go vertical, industry-specific, that role, that specific. So a CFO, like, in the trucking space. Like, hey, you guys might want to fund growth, Buy more trucks. I'm keeping it very simple. Buy more trucks next year. You're probably relying on just a handful of lending relationships, right? And then you get into like, what if you had the option to get better terms, a, a bigger pool of lenders? Like, have you ever explored that? Call to action. Like, keep it soft. Just start yes. the conversation. But don't, don't list too many things. It overwhelms them. A lot of software does a lot of things, usually, but the mistake, and it happens on inbound too, not just lead generation, is you want to get it all out there. Right. There's like this OCD and like, I need to tell you everything so that you can just pick it off like it's a Chinese menu. Like you can just pick off the thing, but it doesn't work that way because like you're not hungry. You're not at the, you're not at the, a, a restaurant, like you're not hungry. Right. So you're sending, giving someone a menu of all these options and they're not ready to eat. So just give them one thing and test it. Do four or five tests where you're leading with four different problems in the same message to the same people. So that after a month, you're like, okay, the reply rate on problem C is 7%. And the reply rate on problem A, which I thought was way better, is like less than 1%. Okay. There's your answer. You know, that's great. What are some good CTAs then to, to have at the bottom of those messages? I would say uh, really soft, like Um, yeah, I like yes or no, like don't, we used to do like more open-ended calls to action and we tested on different personas. Um, but even things like want to learn more worth exploring mind if I share a quick sample video or something where like they could just say, yeah, send it mind. If I send a quick piece or PDF or video does really, really well, um, because they feel like they're not being sold to like, you're going to send me more, but I'll say the caveat there is it requires the salesperson to do a little more hand-to-hand combat. The, right. the laziness happens where you're like, do you have 30 minutes next Tuesday? And everyone wants to do that because it's so easy. Like, 
the person says, yeah, 30 minutes next week. But it's, it's never that simple. And too many people are doing that where it doesn't work anymore. So to do outbound the right way, you've got you've to like have some follow-up ready if you want to get them to start talking to what we were saying earlier, like that bigger market that's not in the buying window. If you say 30 minutes next week, they're not going to want to talk to you. Right. Even someone in the buying window might not be wanting to talk to you yet. So you want to get your reply rates up. I'm a deliverability guy like through and through because we're doing the volume we're doing and you want to get more replies. Yeah. You know, replies beget replies. Yeah. I'm interested in terms of like, I feel like I could be wrong, but there, the separate world between like a software tech company that's selling software versus let's say a service-based business, like an agency that is selling some sort of service. Like what are some like differentiators that let's say like, I feel like most people that have probably listened to this are generally on the service-based agency type of side or something like that versus like mm. working for a tech company. It could be a mix, but my world more curious uh, at the same time, what can, are some things that agency businesses can use in terms of their outbound process? It's such a good question. I was just talking about this with a client that we're onboarding. They do software development, product developers. They, they kind of, they're like staffing in that way. Um, and they ask this very question. I don't think that it's a, it's a totally different strategy, but your expectations should be a little bit different. Uh, I find that when you're selling software, uh, you can hit on like the aspirational things. Like you'll get people out of the buying window because it's not as big of a deal for them to buy some software, sign up for a trial, maybe buy it for a few months. When you're a higher ticket service, um, you may get fewer leads each month relative, like we have service businesses that we work with and we have SaaS, like software. And I would say eight or nine out of 10 times, software gets more leads. It just does. It hooks people faster because you, if you're going to buy like outbound or marketing services or outsource CFO services, like you really kind of need it. Like you're, if you're going to spend thousands and thousands of dollars a month, like you really need to have your hair on fire or in the next two months, like you, you need a solution for it. So I would say for your SERP, for the people listening who have an agency or a service, um, it's critical to be like a domain expert. If, if you don't come off as a domain expert, uh, it's probably not going to land as well. So sharing ideas, asking really good questions that shows you like know your space really, really well. Like that's less critical when you're selling SaaS to be a domain expert. It's more of like, we really know like, the benefits of what our product can do. Like, we know what your role is. We know how this can help you. Great. They're not necessarily really going to care if the person reaching out is like an expert in their industry. But when you're a marketing agency or a CFO or HR or accountant or whatever, you better be an expert and it needs to shine through in your outbound. Otherwise, it won't land. Gotcha. So what I heard there is like the, what clicked for me is the, the insight and the, the tip sharing. So, um, I immediately hear coming from a place of value versus in the place of taking away something. So like, yeah. I don't know, maybe an email, if you, you probably have some great examples, but like what clicked for me is like, you recognize somebody that's uh, in whatever agency that could be need, in need of some marketing services, maybe offer something that could help them that you guys do. If it's a web design, hey, here's like a, a web design guide that uh, audit that you can do for your own website to see whether or not like it's optimized for X, Y, Z. But what, what are some like specifics of that? Something like that could be good using, like, but it has to be very, very quick. Um, you don't want to include like long webinars or guides, but if you have like a one minute video 
or even like taking a podcast that you did and repurposing it into a one minute video. Hey, I had a conversation with another founder of an agency and we talked about this. Does any of that resonate? Because we, a couple of my takeaways were X. That's good. In some of my outreach, um, I'm just looking here. Like I'm looking at some examples of like my own, because I'm an agency. Um, like I might, so in this particular one that I just randomly pulled up, I'm, I'm reaching out to fintech startups and I happen to work with a lot of great fintechs. So I'm using a lot of like social proof in this email. And I'm kind of saying like, Hey, I work with, I won't say it on the podcast, but X, Y, Z companies, which are, are fairly well known. Um, you know, they were having issues with X and here I'm talking about deliverability. Like they, their sales team was growing and they were having problems with landing in spam. Uh, turns out they're, you know, authentication was way off and their data was dirty. So we helped them do X. Are you guys running up against this right now? Those aren't the exact words, but that's the essence of what I'm trying to say. So I'm not including like any guides or anything like super like long and boring that they're not going to click on. But through that text only email, I'm like kind of teaching them something without like teaching them something. Yeah. Yeah. Because then they say to themselves, oh shit, like I don't, uh, our salespeople are sending from the main domain. I'm like way off on this. So and then I'm A-B testing that versus like, hey, we work with other fintechs that sell to other banks and institutions. And, the, you know, there are even tighter firewalls and servers for those banks. So, like, how are you getting in inboxes? And I have another one that talks about copywriting. So I, right now I have for that fintech startup sequence, there's like four variations. Two of them are deliverability. The other two are in copywriting. Um, and I'm kind of giving them like quick tips. I do a quick bump just to get them to read the first one. Mm-hmm. Don't give like a whole other spiel on the second email if they haven't read the first one. Just remind them of the first one, but that first one better be good. But then my third one is I move on to something else for deliverability. If they're not responding to that, by the third message, I'm talking about something else. Gotcha. And in this case, it's I'm talking about like persona batching. Like, you know, you have a, it looks like you probably have a pretty big addressable market. Like how are you batching these prospects together that have something in common? Right. That makes sense. So say if a, a company needed to, I don't know, improve their outbound strategy, incorporate with what you're saying, how should they go about it? Is this something they should hire and how should they outsource it? Um, what is the best way to approach that? Um, I would say, well, you know, I'm going to be biased on this answer. I know. <laughs> you know, I knew uh, it. <laughs> I, w- I would say this. It depends on what stage the company is at, I suppose. Um, I recognize and respect that sometimes like a CRO or a VP of sales at a big company with a big sales team that needs to be fully in-house. So just if, if you're a really big company with lots of reps, like um, sometimes we come in to like build the infrastructure and like implement a process that their salespeople can replicate, which is one way to do it. So you can kind of, it's a good idea sometimes to bring in experts to like do this all day long to help you really maximize. If you're an earlier stage startup, I'm just not a fan of hiring SDRs. I, I, I have I have rarely seen it work out, especially for the the startups that get a bunch of funding and they go on a hiring spree and they bring on like six or seven SDRs that are untrained. They get an outdated playbook, and it's a disaster. Like two or three months into the game, the churn on an SDR is ten months. So you put in all this hiring and training only for them to walk and take what they learn to another company and. Agencies might do it a little bit differently, um, but I would say some of your first hires should be like a full cycle rep. 
that is going to close deals, but also might be involved in like their own like light prospecting. But bring in an expert. Yeah. It doesn't even have to be us. Although I think we're pretty good. I think you're pretty yeah, good. Yeah, well, <laughs> definitely have to agree with that. And I, I kind of want to shift over to the we talked about before we even started the show, but the whole agency side of things and being an agency owner. Yeah. Um, I'm curious, and this is kind of flipping the script, but where do most of the leads come from for Modern Outbound? How do you generate leads for your company? So earlier days, it was almost all outbound. Um, now, you know, we have a pretty nice size client base. So it's probably 50-50 on outbound, 50% referrals. But I still do a lot of, like I consider my outbound instance like a lab. I'm testing a lot of things that we yeah. then could apply to like other clients. So at this point, I would say probably 50-50, depending on the month. Sometimes it might be more outbound leads. Sometimes it might be more um, referrals. And I've been doing more content on LinkedIn, so I've been sharing more there, which is starting to generate some leads. And that helps with my outbound too. Because yeah. like my sign-off on some of these sequences for outbound is like, hey, I share stuff on LinkedIn about outbound. Would you want to connect? And I get a lot of replies from people that say, yeah, would love to connect and hear what you're doing. And some of them are even starting to engage on posts. So like what we talked about with the buying window, they thought the email was interesting, but they don't need it right now. But I'll be top of mind when, when they are. That's, That's a great point. I think I found you because I think it was a, a, you commented on somebody else's post or the algorithm favored your content, but I saw one of your posts and I was like, I love this and connected and then saw more and more posts and was like, wow, this person knows what he's talking about. I'm getting a ton of value and um, that I led to that. having the conversation. Well, it's true because it's it's like people get confused of like what to do and it's like they think, oh, should I post content? I think content's a, a, a huge topic nowadays too and I'm curious to see your thoughts on where does content mm -hmm. come into the uh, marketing strategies for either your business and businesses in general. But um, I think the power yeah. of LinkedIn with organic content is important. What are your thoughts on that? Huge. I mean, if you're like you were asking a second ago about agencies, if you're a B2B agency, you are missing out if you're not posting on LinkedIn and sharing and engaging with other people that have audiences you can tap into. There's like 800, don't quote me on this, but I think there's like 800 million people on LinkedIn. And I think uh, a couple of my friends who are way better at posting than I am tell me that like two to 3% are actually posting. So I don't think it's always going to be that way. But for these next few years, it is such a huge opportunity to get in front of so many people organically. Yeah. And it compounds. So don't spend $20,000 a month on ads if you haven't nailed organic content yet. Yeah. Like what you guys are doing, podcasting, blogs, sharing ideas, engaging with other people's content. Like, I, I mean, I'll post something and I'll get, you know, 15,000 impressions. Um, and it's free. You know, it's just something that I wrote down and posted it. And now a lot of people see it. So if you're an agency, do outbound, because if you have a really good, clear ICP, who you help the most, like get after it on outbound, but definitely uh, LinkedIn content, LinkedIn specifically. And some would say Twitter is a good way. You can like use it for both, even shorter form on, on Twitter. But I think LinkedIn is just, is, is so ripe for, um, for more creators. Totally. Yeah. It, I think especially repurposing content, if you do it smart, like for example, like this podcast, like of course we're biased when it comes to the podcast thing, but it's like you yeah. film one podcast like this. Uh, I'm editing the podcast we did the other day here as well. And there's 10 short clips, five to 10 little segments of it there with timestamps. Those are, you can post that one video and then you have five to six short clips that you can post again. And then you have yeah. 
10 maybe short clips with captions and then you can turn all those into blog posts you can turn them into linkedin posts you can turn Mm -hmm. them into graphics and that's like the key because people are like i'm so overwhelmed with posting content and sure in the beginning it's like just start with one platform post but if you can really get a content system involved uh with Mm. podcasting especially being one of the like the big pillars that kind of has that domino effect i mean you combine that with some outbound strategy at the same time especially when you talked about that ecosystem i mean that's a killer strategy it's and huge. People, people Podcasting is of who you are, right? Mm-hmm. So before we're in there yeah. actually trying to sell them, and this left, you know, and, and it, we, it's a lead behind it. They can go back and see it. It's not live. Um, so you're, exactly. you're building trust. You're building a connection. Somebody's not being sold. They're learning about your project, or your, your your product. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a really nice way to kind of tether everything together. I, yeah, I think podcasting is probably the best anchor. It's probably the best core pillar piece. Yeah. People would may have said a few years ago it was blog posts, like long-form ebooks or blog posts. I think podcasting is the best pillar piece as, that you could start we with. We do as well. So. Yeah. I knew it's we were the on truth. the same page with that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah well, like, we both said in, in the, the questions, like when I asked you about the uh, – inbound versus outbound or no outsourcing the the strategy and you said you're biased but it's like i'm biased but i also believe this and it comes across so it's like i think that's important the authentic vibe which is it's difficult especially in the beginning to come across as like difficult to an extent but like you really have we were having a conversation with this is why it reminded me we were having a conversation with um somebody the other day and it talked about they were selling, but they didn't like what the company was selling. They didn't believe in it. And, mm. and that like truly comes across. You might not even recognize it, but when you, I talk to you and I'm asking you about the company, I can hear whether or not you're passionate, you believe what you're saying. You know, you can try your best to do it, but it's like a constant battle. But if you're like, I can sell with me, it's really excited. Oh, I'm doing this and I love this. I love what I do. I, I love this every day. Like we do this, we're working with these companies. It's like, it's, it's, it's invigorating. It is. And that's like, you're hitting on like a whole other conversation that reps should be interviewing the companies more than the other way around. Cause yeah, if you're not selling a, forget about if you like it, the product or not, but if it doesn't have product market fit and so many of these startups don't quite have that and they're hiring reps and these reps are like putting their all into it without fully knowing, like it's a big mistake. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, we, we had that same conversation the other day um, about that. So my final question in terms of like that, which led me into it was like, what is your process for say hopping on a, a call with a potential client? How do you work through that process? And, and just to clarify, work through like, how do I craft the, the sequences to get in front of them? Or once they express some kind of interest, like how do I take it yeah, from there? Ex- the, that second part. So like say somebody's interested in working with you and you're, you're meeting with them to go over what you can do for their company. How do you then tell them and educate them about what you offer? Yeah, I think the key is to just, I, I do my best to not sound like a salesperson at all. Almost like I was saying before, a domain expert. I come onto the call, audit what they're currently doing or not doing, and I'll just kind of naturally weave in ideas, things they might want to think about, almost like keeping myself removed from it. But like, hey, like they might have some sequences. Hey, like, can I can I read what you guys are doing? Ooh, you might want to tweak that copy. Um Ooh, it doesn't look like you're, you're double verifying data. Um, how are you increasing volume? Like, what are your reps doing? Um, so I try to just be like a well of knowledge. And at this point, um, I will in, like spontaneously share my screen and show them campaigns. And I think as an agency, especially if you're like a, a marketing agency or outbound or anything like that, you, they want to see it. You don't want to bore them with visuals, but I'll share my screen and if I know that this is like a health tech company that's targeting like hospitals and clinics and facilities, whatever, 
I'll share my screen and show them other clients of mine that are targeting those areas too. And results, reply rates, open rates, how many leads are we getting each month to make it as, as real as possible. Because when you're in a red ocean versus like the blue ocean where like you're a new product in a new space, um, for outbound and marketing and things like that, you, you've got to like show the results. You've got to have the social proof and you've got to show them that you're, you're worth your salt. So in that first call, um, it's a lot of listening just yep. to make sure like I'm aligned with them, like I can actually help them, um, give them a couple ideas that they can remember me by and that can help them and then show them results. That's fantastic. So if somebody wanted to get in touch with you because we're coming to the end of our hour, um, what's the best way to, for uh, somebody to reach out for your services? Uh, yeah, check us out at modernoutbound.com. Um, you could email me, Joel at Modern Outbound. You could DM me on LinkedIn. Find me, follow me there. But we'd love to hear from some of your listeners. 